So as we jump into this this morning, synergy is the capstone of these habits we've been building. We started with a change in paradigm. The Bible calls that repentance. It's, it, means get, it means getting a different perspective, changing your mind, looking at things through a different lens. We talked about beginning with the end in mind, having a vision. Uh, we, we talked about priority and putting first things first. And last week we spoke to seeking first to understand before we try to press our point and make sure that folks understand us. Before we're understood, I seek to understand what you're saying. Therefore, I can relate to you better. We talked about the power of empathic communication. Empathy that gets in somebody else's shoes and is able to feel what they're feeling. Not sympathy that feels sorry for people because of what they're going through, but empathy that is you actually can identify with the struggle. And therefore, because of that identification with them, you can better speak to it and, and help. I believe that's what the Lord has called us to as the body of Christ. If you do, say amen. So jumping into synergy this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, listen to verse 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I do not want you to misunderstand this. Let me stop and say, I'm rather fond of the King James of this particular passage because the Apostle Paul says, Brothers, concerning spiritual gifts, I would not have you to be ignorant. How many of you know that every time Paul wrote, I wouldn't have you to be ignorant, it was because the people were what? Ignorant. Now, ignorant in this sense, is not a bad thing. Ignorant is the Greek word agnoeo. It, we get the English word agnostic. It means you just don't know. How many of you know we go to school to get an education so that we don't just not know anymore, but we're at least exposed to some disciplines that teach us how we can find the answers to bigger questions in life. Um, there's, another, there's another Greek word in the Bible that speaks and is translated ignorant, but it's a whole different it's a whole different category, a whole different animal. It's the Greek word idiotes. Everybody say idiot. Yeah, the, the, the Bible actually calls people idiots. Idiots are people who don't know and they don't care. They don't know they don't know and they don't care that they don't know. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be an idiotes. So Paul says, I don't want you to misunderstand this. I don't want you to be ignorant. Verse 4, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit. Say those two words, same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the, say it with me, same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is, the, say it, the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. I just realized you didn't have that in front of you, so you didn't know what was coming. So one more time, say same spirit, same Lord, same God. Now it'll be in front of you. Forgive me, I forgot that. Here we go, verse 11. It is the one and only Spirit, capital S, that means the Holy Spirit, not your human spirit, little s, but the capital Spirit, Holy Spirit. It's the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. Everybody say many. many. One. Say many. One. This is all over the Bible. There was one covenant nation of Israel, but there were many tribes. There is, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. There's one vine, but there are many branches. Psalm 46 says, God is present, help in time of need. And he says that there is a river whose streams, the river is singular, the streams are plural. There is one river, there are many streams. There's a Methodist stream and a Baptist stream and a Presbyterian stream and a Pentecostal stream and a word of faith stream, and 
And you can talk about all these streams. And the problem is, is that when we think our stream is the river and everybody else has got muddy water, how I many you know we need everybody? We need the whole body of Christ. We need all of the tribes. And, and, and he's saying there is one body but many parts. How I many of you know there's not a part that you can just say, oh, I'm going to dismiss that? If, if one of your body parts start, stops working and it dies, it is a pathology. It's probably going to produce death in the rest of your body, and you don't want that. You want everything to be healthy, everything to be working and operating the way it's supposed to be. Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Say that again, same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. Everybody say, God put it where he wants it. Two verses, and I'm finished with the text. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Holy Spirit of God, I ask you today to help us. Thank you, Jesus, for your gift of life that you have come that we might have and have it more abundantly. Father, thank you that you sent the Son and the Son came. He lived a perfect and sinless life before us and he sent the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and our guide. I'm dependent on you today, Lord, and I ask you, out of my desperation, I need you. Let, let your spirit penetrate my thinking and my words. Lord, be the ears in the hearts of these people. Be the eyes in the spirits of these people to understand. The, the, the word says in Ephesians, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. God, thank you that's us. Thank you that... We need a new identity. We need to change our minds and be transformed by our thinking, by the renewing of our minds. I just ask you today to do that, Holy Spirit. I'm not able, but you are. You're the teacher. You're the guide. You're the guard. Be, O oh God, that in our hearts. We'll be careful to give Jesus all of the glory. It's in his strong name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. One thing I want you to grasp this week, if you would read it with me, please say it together. Big dreams require great teams recognizing different strengths. Actually, the word says differing, okay? Big dreams require great teams recognizing differing strengths. We're grateful today that as we gather together for the team that God is building here, our lead team a number of years ago went through Marcus Buckingham's book called Strength Finders. And with purchase of the book, you get a link and you go online and you're able to answer a number of questions. I don't know, it may have been a hundred. Nothing in terms of highly technical, but just basically answering things that you desire to do and preferences in terms of your makeup and kind of some natural gifting, some skills, abilities in that area. And after this, they're able to determine and rate your answers and let you know what your five top strengths are. And I think that's been a shift in leadership theory 
in helping to recognize that every one of us has some strengths and everyone in the room has some weaknesses. There are things that you're good at and there are things that you're not necessarily as good at. You may not be a failure at it, but you don't like it because you have to work hard at it. I was always good in the humanities. I was always, always enjoyed history and English and foreign languages and philosophy and literature and religion and all those kinds of things that I studied in high school and in college and in a graduate degree and all of those things. I, I appreciated that. I was good at it. I made a good grade in the, in the sciences and in the maths, although I didn't enjoy it. I had to work at it. My wife was incredibly gifted in all of those areas, and so we really made an amazing team because she was probably one of the smartest women I've ever met in my whole life and just had this ability to communicate clearly and help students, having taught 25 years, and she helped our children. I dealt with English and with literature and with history and tried to make it come alive for them because I had a teacher that changed my life in history, and it set me on fire when I realized it wasn't just a bunch of dates and dead guys. But there's a story there, and there's a powerful story, and there's a struggle, and there's, there's tragedy and triumph, and there's victory, and there's perseverance, and there's Winston Churchill in the midst of the, the Great War telling us, never, never, never give up. And, and things like that just literally set me on fire, and I, 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 I gathered a love for that. But, but my wife didn't love that, and I didn't curse her because she didn't have my same strength. I was grateful because she had a strength that covered my weakness. And so she schooled the kids in math and science, and I helped them with the humanities, and all of these different things came together because we learned how to be a team. Isn't it amazing how when you get married, sometimes you're drawn to someone because of the opposite issues that are attracting to you, and in a few years you get frustrated, and you set out to change them and make them like you, bring them around to your way of thinking? Have mercy when you do that because it only produces strife in relationships and Sooner or later, you're sitting in the pastor's office talking about it. You know, it's crazy because you were attracted to him, honey, because he was so spontaneous, and in five years, you hate him because he doesn't plan. <laughs> well, that's two sides of the same coin, baby. You need to wake up, <laughs> and maybe you need to be the planner. One of you spends and one of you saves. Thank God you got somebody that's hanging on to some money in that family. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so opposites attract, and the way we can learn to harness the power of those distinctions creates a sense of teamwork. And I'm grateful, I'm so grateful that this experiment that we're doing, I love these two people sitting on this row here because we share the same spirit. We don't bring the same perspective to the table. And and Jeremy will share one thing, and, and Haley will share another. I should say Pastor Jeremy and Pastor Haley is out of respect for the positions they hold, and I'll bring something different, and then Heather straightens us all out because she's the, <laughs> she's the administrative assistant. Is that the truth or what? Well, now let me tell y'all. Now, and everybody just goes, okay, what's Heather going to say? You know, I'm, I'm just teasing. We have an amazing relationship. We accomplish things that none of us could do by ourselves because we believe in each other. And it took a while to develop that kind of trust. I had done this whole thing all on my own my whole life, and it was just kind of the Mike Smith show. And I went back to school to get a graduate degree, and when I did, I had to delegate some stuff. And when I did, the church started growing. It's like the Holy Ghost just slapped me in the face and said, See, I told you this ain't even about you anyway. (laughs) And it's like... I. I don't know, I just had this kind of a mentality that, well, I'm the only full-time paid person on staff. Everybody expects me to cover all this. 
And as long as I stayed in that narrow, small-minded thinking, I kept other people from growing because if people don't take ownership and responsibility and you don't give them some authority and give them some resources and the ability to make a decision and the patience to love them when they make a mistake, then it never will grow. And thank God the Lord taught me that the hard way, but He taught me that. Somebody say, I'm thankful He learned. Big dreams require great teams recognizing different strengths, differing strengths. We, we're talking about the law of teamwork today. Teamwork, it's a cliche, but it's still worth saying it. We, we hear it over and over again. Teamwork makes the dream work. And teams are able to accomplish things when they learn how to grasp this principle of synergy and work together. Everybody doesn't have to be a world-class star, an athlete on a team to make that team be a winning team. As a matter of fact, you can have some folks that are so full of themselves and pride in their world-class status that they aren't ever able to learn how to gel with the rest of the team. And literally, second-rate players can learn how to gel together on a team and beat a team full of champions that don't learn how to work together. You hear what I'm saying? Everybody has a place. If we can just learn how to work together. And that's what is so critical because this is what this whole thing is about. The first point that I bring to you this morning is the habit of synergizing. And I'm going to use my little pointer here and I want you to see this. This is the kind of stuff that I loved. I know I'm a nerd, so forgive me. Uh, but I love this stuff in language because I love just the whole, um, the, the how, how words are made up. I love words. I'm, I'm a wordsmith. Did you catch that, Smith? Anyway, um, but I, I love how they come together because I love to communicate. And if there are some words that just get the point across better. And synergy is so powerful because we see erg. Erg. What is erg? Well, erg means work. As a matter of fact, you see erg in energy. Energy is the force required to work. It's the, it's the force expended to accomplish work. And in the beginning of this, you see sin, S-Y-N. Not sin in like a transgression or an iniquity but S-Y-N, which means together. So synergize means to work together. Say it, work together, synergize. So working together is the recognition that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. You and your wife in unity, sir, can accomplish greater things for the kingdom of God than you ever could if you don't learn how to overcome strife and competition and insecurity and jealousy. Let her emerge in her gifts and call them out of her and, and, and build into her and invest into her and, 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 and wife, do the same thing. Don't expect him to just tell you how great it looks and the dress doesn't make you look fat and all those kind of things, but then never build him up. Come on, help me. I, I know I'm preaching so good already, y'all. Don't shout me down. The habit of synergizing. So we've defined it. It means to recognize and to appreciate how things, say it with me, work together. Say it again. Work together. And the amazing thing is that we have a God who works all things together for our good because we love Him and we are the called according to His purpose. The law of synergism states that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. The power that is in synergy, the power of synergy. Grasp this. Leviticus chapter 26 verses 1 through 4 and 6 through 8 all talk about an obedient nation of Israel who has the ability to drive their enemies away and set them to flight when they're walking in the will of God and the obedience of God, the scripture says five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. 
So five of us together have a five-to-one ratio. One every 20, five to 100. But when you put 100 of us together, we can have 100 times, 100 to 1 ratio. There's an exponential increase when people get in unity and get in agreement. Did you hear what I just said? There is this ability for God to capture and add strength to us when we get in unity and we obey Him and we walk in His will. A hundred obedient Israelites could put 10,000 of their enemy to flight. A hundred times their number. Now, I have a picture that I want you to see. If you would go ahead and put that up for me. This is a picture of obviously a, a wood uh, tree uh, lumber service. I got three hours of sleep last night, so y'all help me. The CD is tracking a little slowly up here. And so uh, I'm excited. I'm glad to be here. But Time Change Sunday, especially this one, not the fall one, but this one messes with me on this Sunday morning. So you see a whole bunch of logs stacked there, and this is some experiments that took place. Verified, the strongest animal that is a draft animal or something that pulls something is the Belgian draft horse. One Belgian draft horse, a normal species or a normal specimen of that particular species, has the ability to pull 8,000 pounds. So we're talking about a very strong horse. Now, they have two that are hitched to the same harness here and are tempting to see if one can pull 8,000, obviously two is going to pull 16,000. But when they put those two animals together, they were shocked to find that when those two animals worked together, there was an exponential increase. They didn't just pull twice their individual weight, but these two Belgian draft horses pulled not 16, but 24,000 pounds when you combined their work together. This is synergy at work. This is working together. This is focus. This is, this is laser beam focus on the same purpose or the same objective, and you're attempting to accomplish something. And these two horses, this sounds like a hoax. You can check it on the Internet. This is verifiable. There is a psychology that the horses share together. There is something of the physics that is going on with the two of them both pulling. And it, this happens in human relationships. This happens in a team. This happens in a local school when people can catch a vision for greatness for their students. This happens in a family when people decide that they're going to raise some champions that will influence people and for the kingdom of God. I want to tell you about this thing here because the amazing deal is is that these two animals, when they first tried the experiment, didn't know each other. What do you mean horses don't know each other? Well, you've you got to be kidding. I've got two dogs in my house, and if one of them's missing, the other one's upset because they know each other. Copper and Odie. Copper's a 40-pound mutt, a rescue, and Odie went to the vet this week, and he was 113 pounds. Their food hasn't changed. I guess they've got the spirit of their daddy on them. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> copper gained a pound, and Odie gained five. And I said, what's going on? They're in measured bowls. They get one at 8 o'clock, and they get one at 5. And, and I, I just realized, it's all this rain we've gotten, and they haven't been outside running around. So exercise. I think it was like God was reminding me, okay, you know, this is happening to them. Guess what you need to do? So, and uh, so I'm, I'm excited because I've started with little habits that will have a ripple effect. If you've been here for the series, you know what I'm talking about. Breaking diet, Dr. Pepper, and being 32 days without it is the little habit that's affecting some other things. And I'm grateful for that. It's too many times we try to fix all the big stuff that's wrong when we should just start a little at a time. Whatever the thing is you're trying to accomplish, the bad habit you're trying to break, the good one you're trying to make, 
and then see the Lord as you put your trust in God. He'll get in the middle of it, and synergy between you and the Father will begin to take place. Now, what was crazy was after these horses trained together, after they work together for a period of time, something takes place in the psychology of the animals where they start to think as one. And these horses gradually over time as they work together didn't just keep pulling 24,000 pounds, but it actually approached 32,000 pounds. So four times. Now, guys, this is what happens when you can get past the trouble in your marriage, when you can enter the sweet spot, when you learn her, when you learn him, when you love him in spite of all of his foibles. You know, when he's 15 and his mom says, Joe, close the cupboard doors. And he's 20 years later in his marriage and wife is saying, Joe, close the cupboard doors. There's a weakness there, but there's some strengths that you need to lean into and rely on. And so as we learn to do that, we're able to accomplish significant things. That's the power of synergy. The power of working together causes the whole to be greater than the sum of its parts. The greatness of anything in God's creation exceeds the glory of its individual parts. Effective people refuse to demand sameness. The last thing in the world I want to do at Victory Church is assembly line reproduce a bunch of little cookie cutter people that look the same, act the same, talk the same, believe exactly the same. There's room there's vast room in this spectrum of theology where we study and love who God is. He's bigger than my theology, thank God. He didn't save any of us because our theology was right. He saved us because he loved us. And we will forever throughout the ages, because of his amazing grace, be learning how phenomenal he is and how much we are loved by a good, good father. And if you can get that in your heart, it will change your perspective on the struggles you're facing in your life currently. We have a good, good father, and we're loved by him, and that's who he is, and that's who I am. Effective people refuse to demand sameness. They recognize differences, but they also celebrate differences. They synergize to see all of it working together for a greater good. There's a synergy that exists between men and women. I, I don't know if you know this, but there are obvious physical differences between men and women. Say amen if you understand that. There, no matter how much current culture has tried to make us equal and the same, there are distinctions you cannot DNA modify or GMO out the door. They're just differences. As soon as you can recognize, sir, that she's smarter than you are, then the better off you'll be. <laughs> now, after that, some brother are going to say, I can't believe you said that. She's been trying to tell me that for 30 years. Well, brother, it's time to learn, okay? <laughs> Failure to synergize produces strife, and it ends up in us trying to change each other. There's synergy in the body of Christ. Each member is different, yet it's one body, many and one. Failure to recognize this produces an ineffective in a, ineffectiveness in us. Each member is unique and distinct, Abiding or adding, I'm sorry, adding them all together, it's a wonderful group. That's great. But synergy occurs when all members are working together, thus creating a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. Synergy, this working together, is the capstone of these habits. When I begin to learn how to put these things into play in my life, I begin to see how the relationship of all these things start to work together. Prophetic preaching which is the style of preaching that I do at Victory. It is, it is synerg it's synergic. 
It means that I'm seeing from a, a larger viewpoint and have an appreciation for all the parts. I have always had a broad appreciation for the body of Christ, read from every imaginable, drunk from every stream that, that you could possibly appreciate, from the authors that come from all those backgrounds that I listed earlier. And I have never read any one of them that I didn't come away with something that gave me a fresh perspective and something that I was able to learn from each of those brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice I said sisters. It isn't just men that are anointed to preach or to write. It amazes me sometimes, some of these guys who wouldn't let a woman stand in their pulpit and preach, but they'll use K. Arthur's Bible study to teach their sermons out of. I guess I better leave that alone. I don't know. Or Beth Moore or Joyce Meyer. Or, you know, so I know some of you like some of those, some of you don't. And bless the Lord anyway. Uh, you know, Maybe they may say some things you don't care for. Listen, learn this principle. This is not in my notes, but this is good to, to understand this. You hang around here long enough, I'm going to say something you don't fully agree with, and that's okay. How many of you had a watermelon when you were a little kid, and you learned to eat the, the pink part and spit out the seeds? Eat the good, spit out what you don't agree with. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That's just maturity. Okay? And I'm going to get to that in just a moment in terms of this agreement, disagreement thing. Because I'm going to tell you, you get three of us together in the same room. We're not all, ag all agree, agree on everything. If agreeing on everything is what holds us together as a body, then we are doomed for sure. Uh, synergy delivers us from an adversarial posture where I've got to prove that I'm right. You guys remember the illustration in the very beginning of this series with the old woman and the young woman? Remember that one? Will I see an old woman? Will I see a young woman? Well, guess what a synergic Christian does? They say, oh, you see this issue differently? That's fantastic. Let me see. Help me. Help me understand how you see it. I, I, I'm doing a lot of reading right now on race relations, reading Cornell West, Race Matters, reading uh, Michael Eric Dyson's What Truth Sounds Like, and, and, and just a host of some of my heroes, Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington, and I know that they come from different perspectives in the generations because they weren't in the same generation. Matter of fact, Booker T. was born the day that uh, Fred, Frederick Douglass died. And, and so just kind of a passing of the baton, and then W.E.B. Du Bois, and, and just trying to get a perspective. And there are things that I read I don't agree with, but I feel like I need to understand this so I can sit down with some of my African brothers and sisters in this community and say, look, we've got to figure out how we can teach the people of God in the Delta that grace is bigger than race. I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know how we're going to do it. I was marked as a child when they taught me to sing red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight. And then a black family visited our all-white church and the deacons asked them to leave one Sunday night, and it broke my heart. And I got offended. I was offended. I was nine years old, and I'm editing what I'm thinking. I was ticked off. I was mad. This is not right. Dr. Martin Luther King said 11 o'clock is still the most segregated hour in America. And I'm thankful that we're not quitting. We're not, we didn't just keep on so we could build a building. We have kept on so we could build a people, so we could build the temple of the Lord in a people. That is a tapestry that is out of every kindred, tribe, and nation that is red and yellow, black and white, every one of them precious in his sight. Come on, somebody. I need to know how you see it. I need to understand your struggle because it's not the same. Big dreams require great teams recognizing different strengths. 
Point number two, synergy is the mark of maturity. Look at your neighbor and say, grow up. Synergy is the mark of maturity. And the way I'm going to grasp it is when I can grow to become tall enough to see from God's viewpoint. People who take the time to study the Bible and theology and arrive at a conviction rarely agree with everybody. They have a conviction. They're moving from that conviction. There's some things that I have convictions about. There are things that I want you to understand that I ha- I'm persuaded of a particular view. But at least because I have studied the opposite side of the spectrum, I can at least have an understanding and appreciation for where those brothers and sisters are coming from. And no longer do I have the attitude that if you don't agree with me that you're not a part of the select elect. Are you hearing me this morning? A different perspective brought to the table gives us a new viewpoint that can bring enrichment to others. Varying viewpoints help us to stay in balance. I was having coffee with a friend of mine this week and sitting together and he was talking about a friend of his that just really is hardline over into a very hyper-Calvinist viewpoint and, and was kind of presenting the other side. And I said, well, you know, regardless of where you come on that spectrum, and I have a definite spot, and it's really not important where I am because I just preach biblical theology. If I, if I come to the passage where John 15, he says, you didn't choose me, I've chosen you. I preach that with passion. But if I'm hanging out in 1 John and I'm, I, I'm preaching, whosoever will may come, you would think I was John Wesley's great, 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 great grandson. Because the scripture says, whosoever will may come. And so the point is, I said, you know what? We have two truths that seem to stand in opposition to each other, but they're equally true. Number one, God is sovereign. Say it with me, God is sovereign. What does that mean? He's in control. The second one is, man is responsible. You have a choice. you got to get up off your blessed assurance once in a while and take some action. Some of you didn't get that. you got to take some action, okay? And the, I said, the old illustration is they are like parallel rails in a, in a railroad track, and they never cross because if they cross, the train wrecks. That's what happens in your life when you start to live like, Without human responsibility, and it's just all God is in control, then you start living sera, whatever will be, will be, and you live out of a fatalism. I can't change anything. God made his mind up on this a long time ago, and I'm just going to learn to live with what I've got. Well, you know, I, I, I do understand that we've all been dealt a hand, but how many of you know whether you get up and play that hand right makes all the difference in the world? Everybody didn't get dealt the same hand. Some of us were standing behind the door when, hand, when God handed out various gifts, and we're not going to talk about what those are. And some of us struggle in some areas. I have some weaknesses, and I'm thankful to God for a team, preaching team and a leadership team, and I'm also thankful for some trustees that can come along beside me and help strengthen me where I have weaknesses, and they can bring different viewpoints. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Come on. I just want you to know that there are absolutes and there are essentials that sometimes dwell in mystery. There are varying views in the church, like diversities of gifts, but we tend to balance one another and enrich the whole beyond the sum of its parts. At Victory Church, we affirm the Apostles' Creed for membership. At Victory, you say, I agree, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the, the pastor, Anglican pastor of Westminster Abbey, in London, England. One of my heroes. I've read nearly everything he's written. Remarkable. He was a medical doctor. He was a theologian. Phenomenal, phenomenal man of God. One of my favorite Anglicans. Him and, and now the current living N.T. Wright is a true favorite of mine. And so 
he, he basically said, these are irreducible minimums. You can't reduce this down to a lower common denominator. These are the irreducible minimums in the Apostles' Creed. At Victory we affirm this. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I love that. Hallelujah. Now, if you're a good Methodist or Presbyterian or Lutheran or a Catholic, you grew up with that. Maybe some liturgical Baptists did, but we Pentecostals were ignorant to that stuff. And then I grew. I got a different perspective. I didn't have to lay down my trust in the Holy Spirit to do some amazing things without also strengthening my mind and also understanding that I've got a bedrock of theology that's been that has been declared for 2,000 years. The church has been saying this since the first century. Declaring this. The rest of it says this. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic, little c, Catholic Church. Now, unless it has Roman in front of it, it doesn't mean Rome. But Catholic, look it up in your dictionary, means universal, little c. I believe in the Holy Universal Church of Jesus Christ. The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Notice it doesn't say anything about the end times. It doesn't say anything about a pre-tribulation rapture. There's nothing in there about prophecy and tongues and interpretation and healing and miracles and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing in there about whether you drink wine or you don't. There's nothing about whether you're a vegetarian or you eat meat. There's nothing in there about being a Democrat or Republican. Thank God in heaven. George Bush in his inaugural speech says, I take as my guide the hope of a saint in crucial things, unity, in important things, diversity, and in all things, charity. He was borrowing from a Protestant Reformation uh, maxim, a declaration that had become popular that you might have heard. You can find this on our website. It says, in the essentials, unity. The Apostles' Creed are essentials. I love you, but I won't take time to argue with you about the virgin birth. If you don't believe in the virgin birth, I love you, but you're not in any biblical sense a Christian. It's quiet. Come on, the Rotary Club does a better job enforcing their irreducible minimums than the Church of Jesus Christ does. Now, you don't have to agree with that. You can hang around. You can be say, you know what, I don't know, I'm not certain. That's great. We, we, we love folk that are questioning. You, you can come to this church and be embraced and you don't even necessarily have come to the place where you even believe that there is a God who exists, but there's something drawing you and you can't explain it. There's a pull that's going on. This is a safe place where you can come and say, you know what, I feel something here. I don't know what to call that. You don't have to agree with everything, but when you come to the place of, of saving faith where you confess and you say, I want to be a part of this church, then we basically say there's this little bitty small group of these things that we call essentials that we expect unity. We're not going to argue about. The blood of Jesus saves you, not by your works, but by, the, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Come on, somebody put your hands together. I love you, but I'm not going to take time and argue with about any of these that I just read in the Apostles' Creed. This is 2,000 years old. These are ancient truths that are, have relevance to us today. And if you can embrace those, even if you don't understand it, and lean into God and trust Him, I promise you He will show up in your life and show out and change your circumstances. 
It says in the essentials unity, in the non-essentials liberty. All those other things that are really not going to make a difference in my salvation, you can believe whatever you want to. Just have some scripture to back it up and we'll be gracious to you. We don't have to agree on everything. Somebody say, thank God. In all things, charity. Remember that when you disagree, you've got to do it in love, in charity. Effective people make synergy a habit. They see from a nobler vantage point, not only accepting, but celebrating diversity. Now, I don't want to offend you. This is a little bit crass, so hang on. Look at your neighbor and say, here it comes. Now, I know I'm in Arkansas, and there are probably some cousins, but inbreeding usually produces morons. This truth can be applied in many dimensions, between spouses, between friends, within a local church, within local churches in a whole city, within the universal body of Christ. Synergy is maturity. It sees the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. What do we said one thing all morning? Big dreams require great teams recognizing differing strengths. Say it with me. Big dreams require great teams recognizing differing strengths. So we've built a building, big whoop. We've got a mission to do in the Delta. We're here. Let me tell you, there is so much disgusting apathy and indifference and complacency in this area. We have the most ridiculously low voter turnouts. It's crazy. And then folk want to fuss about the leadership that we have. Well, if you didn't vote, you don't have a voice. And the way we answer that is not being preachy toward people. We just demonstrate a life that's passionate and set on fire with some convictions and a love for Jesus. That's the antidote to complacency and apathy. A pathos. Apathetic. No feeling. No compassion. The body of Christ is supposed to be filled with the zeal of the Lord of hosts that consumes us. Hallelujah. The only way we're going to be able to build bridges in real racial, racial reconciliation is to start by building some friendships with the brothers and sisters that don't look like we do. I think I got a bigger amen over here. I'm going to come preach to y'all for the rest of the service this morning. I'm, I'm teasing. Poverty. Poverty is not just throwing money at somebody in need, but it's helping them in the immediate need, but discipling them and loving them and helping them grow up out of that dependency on somebody always providing something instead of showing them how to be productive themselves. Forgive me, but it's just such a good, good maxim. You give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, but you teach a man how to fish, then he's away from home from his wife the rest. No, no, he, he eats for the rest of his life. See, I had to wake you up. The humor in that is, it's not what you expected. Okay, all right. Finally, and I'm finished. Did you get anything out of this this morning? Synergy is in the Trinity. Our God is unified. He's one, but yet he's three persons. There's unity and diversity. The essence of the Godhead is unity with diversity. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet one God there are functions and offices of the Father that are uniquely His. There are ministries and actions of the Son that are uniquely His. 
There are gifts and operations of the Holy Spirit that are singularly His. And yet the unity of the Godhead is unbroken to the point that we would not be wrong to say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the gifts of God. Okay? We say that the Father lives in our hearts or that Jesus lives in our hearts. And we say that and technically that's not accurate because actually it's the Holy Spirit who comes in our hearts and Jesus and the Father, the Son and the Father come and take up their abode through the agency of the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I remember saying that so much. There was a little kid who, who, who asked his dad one day, Dad, when I eat, does my food fall on Jesus' head? He'd been told all his life that Jesus lived in his heart. And you know as well as I do that if you, you breathe your last breath and they do an autopsy and they cut your heart open and they're not going to find a little bit of Jesus in there. You know that. It's just kind of metaphorical language that we use. Invite Jesus into your heart. Well, that's, that's when the Holy Spirit breathes life into you. And you were spiritually dead, but now you're alive. You're alive in Christ. And as a matter of fact, John 14, Jesus said, He said, not only the Holy Spirit, the comforter I'm going to give you, but I and the Father are going to come and take up our abode in you, and we're going to give you a comforter who will guide you and lead you into all truth. So, People, if you haven't heard anything else I've said this morning, as I wrap this message up, if you can just get a glimpse of what I just said, you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost living down on the inside of you. And that in itself ought to change your perspective on the struggles you currently have. Am I in the wrong church, Sydney? I, I, I ought to got a shout over that. Now, I, now come on now. I know the, the, the visitors, you're new and you don't do that, but all my regular folk, come on, help me just a little bit this morning because God lives on the inside of you. That will change your life. Jesus, the God-man, the, the, the scripture prophesied through Isaiah, he said, behold, a virgin shall conceive and she shall bring forth a son and you will call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, we celebrated at Christmas. It means God with us. It was a synergy, a working together of divine and human, fully God and fully man in this new creation man, Jesus Christ. He didn't just sit on the throne and with sympathy feel sorry for you, but with empathy he came down and he took upon himself the form of a servant, a slave. He wrapped himself in flesh. He became obedient even unto death. Everything you struggle with, he has tasted of it. The Bible says he's tasted death for every man in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4, in, every, in all points that you face, he's already been tempted. But the thing is, with him, he did it all without sin. You know what? You're struggling in temptation and you can't say you're without sin. You're human. Everybody in the room, nobody perfect in this house this morning. There's one, his name is Jesus. I'm not, get your, get your mind off that idea that the preacher here is perfect. You're looking for a perfect church, it becomes imperfect when you join it. Well, this is no perfect. This, that, that, is a, that, is a, that is a species that doesn't exist. Now, when Jesus comes, I believe we'll have perfection. He'll iron the wrinkles out of the bride's dress. Matter of fact, some of you are going through some heat and some pressure right now. It's probably the iron of the Holy Ghost ironing some stuff out of your life and mine. Somebody say amen. Jesus is the God-man. He has a big dream. But the amazing thing is that he's invited you to be on his team, to be a part of this great throng, this many-membered body, totally diverse and different, 
from every nation on the planet represented, every language, every tribe, every tongue, every socioeconomic status, all of the things that make us different, God celebrates because he's not looking for sameness. When, no, don't hear this the wrong way. Nothing wrong with the church being built out of bricks. Some of them are beautiful. We have a couple of them in town that are just gorgeous. And I don't, I don't read into what I'm saying, but I specifically, what little bit we could afford putting on this building, I didn't want brick because brick are all shaped exactly the same. They're identical. They're man-made. But stones, the Bible says that he builds up his house out of lively stones, out of living stones. They're all different shapes. They, they have to be fit together in just the right spot by a, a master stone craftsman. And sometimes you'll get a stone that'll get slid in next to you and they've got a little protruding edge and they kind of rub you the wrong way. Everybody say EGR. You know what EGR stands for? Extra grace required. Now don't even look at me in that tone of voice because everybody in the room has been an EGR at some point. How many of you thankful that Jesus had some extra grace for your life? I'm preached I'm preached past my time, so let me wrap this up. Bow your hearts with me, please, right now in the name of Jesus.